You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Good afternoon. I'm Graham Richardson in for Evan. He's coming up on 1206. Uh, Some extraordinary scenes in the UK today as we say goodbye to the Queen. I don't know about you, but I've been watching, um, my voice is maybe a little bit frail. I've been watching since early this morning. Um, it's been an extraordinary service. Um, it has been, of course, precision timed to the T. If you haven't had a chance to watch, it is still going on. The pictures you're seeing, if you turn on the live broadcast now, that's Windsor. Um, the crowds, uh, as the casket, the coffin made its final approach to Windsor Castle, just extraordinary, just a, a tremendously large crowd. Um, there to see the queen off. Some moments of emotion, uh, I thought, when the crown came off the coffin, when King Charles placed um, her colors on top of the coffin, the breaking of the rod, and little details that make this all too human and humanize her, Um, A brief shot of the corgis. There were two corgis, her beloved dogs, standing somewhere near Windsor Castle as the car and the coffin arrived. Just an extraordinary um, small moments and big moments. And of course, all the uh, pomp and circumstance. This is, um, the Queen had a hand in this, of course, uh, planning this, helping to plan this. Because everything she did in her life, as she said all those years ago, was about public service, duty, doing uh, the things that the monarch does. But it was also about uh, solidifying the monarchy and holding it up as the head of the household. And at the darkest times, the death of Diana... Um, when people were questioning the relevancy here in the face of that horrible tragedy in those horrible few weeks, months, and years, um, she managed to rally the British public and the larger extent, the Commonwealth, um, to make the monarchy, if not thrive like it used to, certainly advance, certainly advance. And so I think We are seeing a funeral here. We're seeing a state funeral, but we're also seeing the continuation of that. Another extraordinary moment that will be replayed in the news coverage in the hours ahead, if you haven't seen it, is all of the British prime ministers lined up in Westminster Hall going into the actual funeral. And there was, of course, Boris Johnson. There was Tony Blair. Um, there, there was John Major, like all of these British prime ministers came in in a line and then Liz Truss, the current British prime minister came later. And you just, the visualization of that history. And of course her first prime minister was Winston Churchill, but the, the visualization of that history playing out right in front of the whole world, uh, was just something to behold. We're going to check in with. Lots of royal experts today on the show. 
If you're just joining us, I'm Graham Richardson in for Evan Solomon. Evan is on assignment because there's also a Canadian celebration, um, commemoration, not really a celebration, I should correct myself, commemoration of her life here in Ottawa, where I am. And a part of that will be a 96-gun salute every 10 seconds starting at 1225 for every year that the Queen, of course, lived. And this will be happening in a church in Ottawa where she has visited Prime Minister Brian Mulroney and Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Joe Clark will be at that church service. Um, I thought it was really nice to see. Um, Obviously, Brian Mulroney has come back from London. He was there um, with the other prime ministers gathered together all of the living prime ministers from basically 1993 on gathered together. Mr. Harper received the order of Canada. Um, It was great to see all of them together because we, we don't, we don't see a lot of that, that nonpartisan gathering. And even though it might happen behind closed doors, still there's less of it. And I think it was a symbol of what uh, the queen that the queen was above partisanship. She met with all of them too. And maybe it's a bit old fashioned in today's political world, but it was a a really nice, I thought it was a really nice moment. The fact that um, all the prime ministers were there, they've all seen things and done things as prime minister that most of us can't relate to or understand. Um, uh, When you get to that level of uh, political achievement and office, There's only very few people who can share um, those experiences together. And part of that experience is you go to meet the queen. And I'm sure for all of them, huge moments in their lives that they were talking about and sharing. The the other thing we're going to talk, and we're going to touch base with the Calgary police officer who jumped on a plane as soon as he heard that the queen had died. Um, Tad's got a great story. He's been there all week. And uh, we'll talk to him about why he did that. In other news, we're going to as well get the latest on Ukraine from the Ukrainian ambassador here in Canada about the war effort. But we are going to focus mostly on the Queen, not exclusively today. And one of the things we're going to talk about, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Everybody, if you're on social media, everybody, I think in the last few hours has seen this video uh, on Twitter of the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, at a hotel in London, singing with Gregory Charles. Gregory Charles at the piano. And uh, what's striking about it is, first of all, uh, there's a debate about whether it's real or not. No, no, this was the Jubilee. The, the, The Prime Minister's office has confirmed that Justin Trudeau was singing with Gregory Charles in London on Saturday night. It's not fake. It's not generated by the right wing to make him look bad. What what I don't understand is why people on Twitter on both sides, people who don't like Mr. Trudeau and people who do like Mr. Trudeau are fighting about whether he should be singing or not. The people who like Trudeau are accusing people of making it making it up that it's fake. Well, the prime minister's office says it's not fake. He was singing on Saturday night. The people who don't like Mr. Trudeau I've gone so far as to call this a disgrace, given the context of where he's, of what he's doing and where he's at. What do you think about this? I can't believe we're actually talking about this. But 
Text us at 71010. It's getting some attention, and I want to hear what you have to say about it. Um, I, I Last time I checked, I don't think the pub's closed. I don't think people put away the wine at dinner for 10 days. Um, people aren't covering their faces and, um, you know, going to bed early. Like, you... There are things that there are things at funerals called wakes from time to time. You are allowed to celebrate things about someone's life. And I would argue that the Queen's death is not a tragedy. It is a it's a commemoration of an extraordinary life. But the point being that some of the detractors suggesting this is embarrassing Canada, that he's singing with Gregory Charles in a yes, in a public place, but not in a not at a public event um, and that he shouldn't have done that. What do you think about this? Seven ten ten. Even our friend Brian Lilly at the Sun is saying this. This is no big deal, but it is real. <laughs> and uh, Brian is not exactly a does not exactly have a cozy relationship in terms of uh, his support editorially as an opinion columnist of the of the Prime Minister. But he's like, I guess the prime minister should just stay in his room or not do anything except official events. Is that what, is that what we're saying? Or is this smack of the India trip where, where he was at official events, dressing up, dancing, and that just brings back all those memories. So he shouldn't do that with Gregory Charles. I don't know. I'm Graham Richardson in for Evan Solomon on the Evan Solomon show. We'll check in with Colton Prale at the Ottawa service right after the break. Stay with us. Finding answers to all your questions. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back. I'm Graham Richardson in for Evan Solomon, who is on assignment in Ottawa as the procession for the Queen in Canada uh, carries on right now. Let's listen in as they make their way down Elgin Street in downtown Ottawa. Pipes, bands, and it looks like, yes, the mounted unit from the RCMP as well. Let's listen into the special coverage right now. The weather is not great in Ottawa today, but there's a a decent-sized crowd, it looks like, lining the streets of downtown. Former Prime Minister Joe Clark will attend. Former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney will give a speech as well about uh, the impact the Queen has had and the connection to Canada, of course. Um, let's go down to Colton Prale. Uh, CTV Ottawa's Colton Prale joins us on the line. Uh, Colton, you're out there. Walk us through uh, what this will look like. Uh, the pictures, even though the weather's not great, look uh, very, very... It doesn't look like London today. But it looks—it uh, still looks like quite quite the commemoration for the Queen. Absolutely, not too not too uh, sunny for sure, but a more typical, perhaps, picture of London than than you would expect. Their downtown core is blocked off throughout the entire parliamentary precinct in Ottawa, from the east side and Elgin Street, as you mentioned, where that parade is starting, all the way uh, further west into Bay Street, where Christchurch Cathedral is. That's where I'm at right now. Dignitaries have been arriving for the last hour or so, pulling up 
uh, succumb to this cathedral. Jagmeet Singh is actually making his way in right now. He's passing us here at uh, Bay and Spark Street. We've seen a former leader of the opposition, Aaron O'Toole, a number of cabinet ministers, uh, Mark Carney, uh, head of the Bank of Canada, Dr. Theresa Tab, all involved. A number of high-profile senators as well have made their way here. There's 600 dignitaries that have been invited to this service. There's a small crowd who are braving the rain and the expectation of waiting about an hour or so until the parade actually makes its way to Christchurch Cathedral, where I'm standing now. Uh, there's about two dozen people here, and that crowd stretches across Wellington. Significant police resources have been deployed. We are expecting the majestic performance. We know there's going to be hundreds of military personnel involved in this 2.2-kilometer procession. We've been expecting a little more from the military. There was supposed to be a flyover. Unfortunately, the weather has canceled that. But as you mentioned, we have the riding, uh, the mounted unit, I should say, the 200 military personnel, the band. Uh, this is going to be quite a regal affair as Canada, on this National Day of Mourning, pays its own tribute to Queen Elizabeth in, in commemoration of everything that she's done for this country uh, at the same time as, as we see the ceremonies in London. Mm-hmm. The world's attention on London, but uh, of course we're Commonwealth, we're part of the Commonwealth. It's proper that uh, there is a commemoration here in the nation's capital. And in about two minutes' time, uh, we're going to hear a 96-gun salute every, uh, every 10 seconds. There's also a connection, obviously 96 years old, for the Queen. There's also a connection that she had with that church. Do I have that right? She's been there? That's right, yeah. She's been here twice, most recently in 1967. She was also there in the 50s. Uh, funny enough, on one of her journeys here, the church actually lost power, and so as a result, uh, the choir had to perform all of the music a cappella. Today, that's not going to be the case. There are a number of high-profile uh, musicians, including, including Mrs. Wainwright, who are going to be a part of the performances and the service that takes place shortly after 1 o'clock today. Uh, and, you know, speaking to uh, the church and, and the, the rector of the church, they said they really wanted to make sure that this properly reflected Queen Elizabeth's relationship with the faith, relationship with the Church, and so there's going to be some combination of the Anglican and secular beliefs in her commemorative service. As I mentioned this right now, we're seeing Pierre Polyev walk up with his family. Uh, The list of dignitaries is growing as we slowly get a little closer to when we're expecting that service to start. start. But, uh, you know, Graham, it's going to be quite a long, solemn procession, uh, ceremonial and celebratory of her life, but definitely solemn as well as we await them here. Yeah, and and did I hear that right, Colton? That is um, is Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, making a speech. Yeah, so he'll be speaking there. He's already arrived. He arrived about thirty minutes ago. We're also going to hear from uh, the former Governor General Adrian Clarkson. Uh, we're expecting, you know, fairly um, commemorative and, and, and legal speeches from them. They're they're the two main dignitaries speaking. Um, but but so far, the list of people involved who are here and who are, who are here to pay tribute has, has grown quite significantly. All right, that's Colton Prale, uh, live on the phone from us, uh, for us from downtown Ottawa, teeing up the Canadian side of the ceremony. Thanks, Colton. Anytime. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, watching Mr. Mulroney speak with Omar the other night, last week, uh, I, I just love hearing the stories about the Queen and how she interacted with all these world leaders. And, of course... The Canadian leaders, and Mr. Mulroney in particular, 
uh, fond memories of that, and you get a window into how she operated. Like, not only was she a ceremonial head for the government of Canada, um, she had a sense of humor, understood uh, Canada, had a deep connection here, and it's it's very easy to dismiss people who are in the royal family and particularly um, a distant uh, queen who doesn't really have a huge impact on your life, your life as a, as a person, as a Canadian, but to hear the stories about how connected she was through the years and that, that wealth of knowledge and experience um, is just, it, it's a wonderful way to pay tribute uh, to her and to pay tribute to her life. And I think that's what a lot of Canadians are doing today. And a lot of political Canadians, including uh, conservative, NDP and liberal, are, you know, laying down their partisan swords for just a day or for a few days uh, to to mark this, to mark this very important uh, part of our history and very important, uh, obviously, a person who uh, has touched a lot of people. And I keep hearing this. Uh, I'm like, I'm not a monarchist necessarily. I'm not anti-monarchist either. But. Um, I, I keep hearing from people, they're surprised at how um, emotional they've become and how surprised they are at themselves for getting emotional. And I think it's that, it's been said before, I know over the last few days, but I think it's that connection that this person has through our decades and through our lives. We connect her to various parts of our lives. Maybe it's your parents or your grandparents. Maybe it's a time in history. And maybe it's the fact that she's just not there anymore that sends a message to us in a way that time is marching on and we're all getting older. Um, and as many have said, she, she she was always there. She always seemed to be there. And we see in Ottawa now, the 96 gun salute has started. That will go for uh, 96 uh, for obviously all the years of her life. And that will go each um, for 10 seconds, uh, the guns firing off. Uh, 96 gun salute away to uh, pay homage to Queen Elizabeth II. When we come back after the news, uh, we will speak with a Calgary police officer who landed in London as soon as he heard the Queen had died. Uh, he is attending one of the viewing ceremonies to watch the funeral today. He lined up to pay his respects. What it is that caused him to do that? Not everybody would go that far to rocket over to London as soon as he heard that. Why did he do that? And we're going to talk to him about that. And also we have the latest updates from Ukraine, from the Canadian ambassador, the Ukrainian ambassador to Canada, about the state of the war and how hard Ukrainians are going to push. Some stunning victories for them in gaining territory back. Can they hold it? Um, from some of the pictures that have been rolling out of Ukraine over the last few days, few weeks, it sure looks like the Russians moved out in a scramble and left a lot behind. What does that mean for the war effort? I'm Graham Richardson. In for Evan Solomon. We're back in just a moment. As this story changes, we react. This is The Evan Solomon Show. 
I'm Graham Richardson in for Evan. That is earlier today during the service, God Save the King. Here is Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, in his address to the service watched by millions around the world, sending the Queen off. Her late majesty famously declared on a 21st birthday broadcast that her whole life would be dedicated to serving the nation and commonwealth. Rarely has such a promise been so well kept. Few leaders receive the outpouring of love that we have seen. And that is a British understatement, but very, very true. Service in life, hope in death, he said at Westminster Abbey today. Um, CTV News has the entire, um, entire speech and sermon on our website. Uh, it is worth reading. It's worth reading. Someone who was there and has been there for several days is a Calgary police officer. He bought a plane ticket to London as soon as he heard about the Queen's death. Uh, Tad Milmine joins us on the line right now. Uh, Tad, thanks for joining us. A lot of people, um, you've talked to a lot of people about why you did this. Tell me about your feelings today uh, as this comes to an end. Oh, my goodness. It's um, It's been quite a, a 12-day journey, I have to say. Um, like you, you mentioned earlier about just jumping online and buying a plane ticket without even thinking about it. And fortunately, I'm a, in a position that I can do that, but that's not the way I typically operate. I'm very scheduled and regimented and all that, but there was something that that just made me have to come. And having been a part as, as much as I could, especially over the last five days with Her Majesty in town, um, and today with the procession, I was basically in the front row just to, when you're looking at Buckingham Palace, just to the right side, and seeing her casket go by for the final time with her family clearly visibly upset behind, Mm. I think it brought it to fruition, to to understanding just how much she is loved and adored, not just here, but all around the world. I noticed that Premier Kenny was in line as well, lined up for 14 hours or something like that to pay his respects. Um, was it was it uh, a personal thing? Why was it such a personal thing for you? Well, for me, uh, I guess it started back about 11 years ago. I, I, As you mentioned, I'm a Calgary Police Service officer, but on my spare time, I created a charity called Bullying and Tear. And as time went on, I started doing more and more presentations about anti-bullying and youth, youth mental wellness that got to the point that I started coming to London to do presentations to schools here and, and working kind of in partnership with the Met Police. So with all of those efforts, the Queen, well, on her behalf, I've been so uh, honoured to receive a couple of awards through our Governor General, as I said, on, on the Queen's behalf. So there is kind of that personal touch that... that um, I just feel a, a connection to her, and and I should add that my my grandparents were were killed by a drunk driver when I was eleven, and and uh, you know when you're a child you're always looking up, wanting to look up to somebody, and for whatever reason it happened to be the queen for me, and and she essentially was kind of my my grandparent as I grew older, as as I grew older she was as well, so it was it was great having her to 
to to look at, to admire, to to watch how he, how she handled um, you know some pretty horrible situations over her, her years with grace and poise. Mm. This is sad, but it's it's not a tragedy. I would say. Would you agree mm-hmm. with that? I would. I, I think the, it's easiest said that uh, we all knew the day were, was coming, but we just wish it never came. Yeah. And that's the feeling in the air here. It's you can, uh, I mean, to give a an understanding is when I saw her uh, her casket arrive back from Scotland to Buckingham Palace. It was just by fluke I happened to to be there, and it, it was dark at night. But as I'm sure you've seen, um, the hearse was illuminated. That she played a role in designing. But as she went by, it was um, uh, you could hear some tears, but you also heard. Uh, clapping, and and I think that kind of goes to show the the mixed emotions. You you want to cry and be sad, but at the same time, it's like you're crying, but with a smile because we all had the the fortune to to live while she reigns, and and I think that's something that is never going to be repeated again. So to have an opportunity to say goodbye is um, something I know that looking forward, just for myself on a personal level, I'm going to be very grateful that I did this. And. And we saw that today as well, uh, flowers being tossed um, at the coffin in the car as it passed by, but also applause, uh, just right. uh, that general sense of, and and from my understanding, I'm not there, but from my understanding, um, there, there, at times and in parts of the crowds, there's a sense of celebration, which I think is totally appropriate. I mean, this is an extraordinary mm-hmm. achievement for someone to to do this for so long and to be so consistent for millions of people, whether it's in the Commonwealth or around the world, it's, it's a significant life. I absolutely agree. And, and you're spot on with the fact that it can't be lost, that there is uh, a sense of, of celebration, not just to celebrate the life of the queen, but to celebrate, um, you know, his majesty, the king. And and even when you see, I've seen him around this area as well, outside of the processions and everywhere he goes, there's hip hip hooray and long live the king. And, you know, there's um, a sense of, of the ability to move on and and uh, and recognize that the queen is is with her beloved husband, Philip. And, and I think that brings a lot of a lot of peace to people and we can't lose facts. She was 96. So it's, um, you know, duty, uh, duty has come to an end for her and, and it's time for her to rest. Tad, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us from London. My pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate the rest of your day, everyone. You too. This is, uh, we're speaking with Tad Milmine, a Calgary police service officer who uh, was so moved that he went to London when he heard that she'd passed away. We're looking at pictures I'm Graham Richardson, in for Evan Solomon. The reason I'm in for Evan Solomon is because he's on the special right now on the streets of Ottawa as we look at Christchurch Cathedral, people gathering, hundreds of people there. There are hundreds of people gathered along Wellington, um, a long two-kilometer-long parade, a 100-person Canadian Armed Forces um, Guard of Honour, the Central Band from Canadian Forces, 17, 17 honorary pallbearers marching in the parade, and that 96-gun salute that went off in Ottawa, uh, getting ready for this ceremony. So e- even in horrendous weather, there was a fly pass scheduled. Um, uh, horrendous weather canceled that fly pass. We're now looking at news channel of pictures of Brian Mulroney and Mila Mulroney signing a book of condolences. Uh, Mr. Mulroney will make a speech 
at the service, um, his insight into the Queen's life and how she worked uh, during consequential times um, will be, uh, is always very, it's great insight. And of course, Mr. Mulroney, no matter what you think of him politically, <laughs> um, he has the gift of the gab and he can give a speech. So I think it will be, um, it will be great to hear from him about his perspective. He was speaking with Omar a few uh, days ago about um, those days when he chaired the Commonwealth uh, meeting and uh, the Queen was there present and quite involved. And we will hopefully get in touch with Evan Solomon after the one o'clock news um, to uh, get his sense on the ground uh, about this celebration of the Queen's life in Ottawa. After the break, we're going to check in with the former um, ambassador from Ukraine to Canada, can, uh, former Ukrainian ambassador to Canada, about the latest on Ukraine and the war there and how vulnerable Russia is, if they are, from the Ukrainian perspective and whether the last few weeks have been a significant turning point or is it still a very, very big challenge. A lot of people surprised that they were able to do that and how much more are they able to do. As well, we are getting lots of texts from you at 71010 on Justin Trudeau singing in the hotel lobby. Yes, it did happen with Gregory Charles singing the night before the Queen's funeral. Lots of people have some thoughts about that. Stay with us. Talking to the newsmakers every day. The conversation continues with Evan Solomon. Welcome back. I'm Graham Richardson in for Evan Solomon, who's on assignment in Ottawa for the commemoration for the Queen that is going on here right now. That was the sound from uh, London earlier today. We're going to switch gears just a bit, turn our eyes to Ukraine. The former Ukrainian ambassador to Canada, Andrei Shevchenko, joins us on the line. Ambassador, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Graham. Tell me about, uh, for a while, I would say North American news consumers turned away from the war in Ukraine, um, not out of, um, just just because things seemed to be in a stalemate position. And then a few weeks ago, what was described as a stunning operation by Ukraine and a major pushback of, of Russia, is that kind of thing going to continue from your perspective? Uh, well, uh, we're all uh, English a little bit today, so I'll respond yes. with this quote from Churchill after this success in North Africa, uh, when he had to report it to his nation, he said, it's not the end, it's not even the beginning of the end, but it's the end of the beginning. Uh. So that's pretty much where we are right now. I think it, 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 it was a very important milestone. Why? Because it proved to uh, Russia and to the whole world that we can actually win this war. You, uh, Ukraine can win this war. Absolutely. And uh, I think uh, it's very important to tell the difference between two strategies. One is just not to let Ukraine die and just keep it barely surviving. And the other strategy is actually to make sure that we successfully liberate the territory and we build sustainable peace, which will be good for Ukraine, for Europe and for the whole world. Uh, this very successful Ukrainian counteroffensive around this eastern city of Kharkiv, 
which uh, brought back to us thousands of square kilometers. Uh, it's a very important uh, point uh, uh, in support of this winning strategy. And just one more thing, we should understand that it wasn't an easy war. No. It was a very difficult military operation and Ukraine paid very heavy price with blood and with lives of our men and women for every meter of this liberated land. There have been deaths on both sides. Obviously, this is very, very, this is as serious as it gets. What was the difference? Well, it, I, well I would be very careful with using this both sides, because I think there is a very clear difference between people fighting to fighting for their home and uh, people who are used as, as a meat by this terrorist state trying to oppress a different nation. I, I understand but that. Yes, what, yes, you're right. There, I, I there just, were heavy casualties. Yes. Yeah, yes, and I just right. I wanted to suggest because of this the, the speed of the Ukrainian operation and the news stories that covered a very quick Russian retreat, the notion that this was bloodless. No one said that, but some people might get that impression. That's all I was suggesting. Correct. You're absolutely right yes. there. Um, yes, what was the difference? Do you think in this particular operation? Well, I think it was very important that uh, it's very close from the Russian border. It's the land which Russia at some point uh, uh, thought uh, they would take it for granted. They also expected that uh, people would uh, throw flowers uh, to greet their tanks. And that's that never happened. No. We... Uh, uh, now, did, did did they really think that? Did they really think that they would be viewed as liberators, or is that propaganda as well? I think uh, many Russians have fallen to this Russian propaganda, and they believed that uh, uh, that they would be treated as liberators. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a major part of this of this massive miscalculation on the, on the Russian on the Russian side. Ukraine. But, uh, Sorry, I, go ahead, sir. Go yes. ahead. Just, just one more point. Uh, one of the things which was revealed by this counteroffensive is these terrible things that uh, had happened in the occupied territories, and uh, that includes these new mass graves which were discovered uh, next to this Ukrainian city of Izum, and we're talking about hundreds of people, both military and civilian, who were killed by the uh, by the Russians. These are war crimes. Uh, well, we should be obviously legally careful with that term, yes. and that requires further investigation. But from where I stand, as a journalist, as a diplomat, and as a human being, yes, it, it was. Because yeah. there are plenty of evidence that many of those people were killed uh, with their hands uh, uh, tied, uh, their signs of tortures. And there are stories. There are there are dozens of human stories that now we hear from the people uh, who had to witness these tortures and these these war crimes. And I think it's a very strong argument for all of us just to think how we can make sure that Russia and the specific individuals responsible for this uh, for this terrible war would not escape justice. Um, Ukraine is mobilized. Uh, young men, men under a certain age, conscripted and all enlisted. Russia has not done that. Uh, are, do you believe that that also is is a difference on the ground? And if if you if 
I think it, it, it's pretty obvious that it is. What kind of a difference is that making, the commitment of Ukrainian troops? Well, one observation, and it's, it's an important one, even although Russia has not officially declared draft of conscription, uh, there is a quiet draft of conscription that includes, uh, includes criminals whom uh, the Russian government recruits at their prisons. So they would, they would recruit uh, people there to fight uh, in Ukraine. So they're trying to do it quietly because they're too afraid that, uh, that uh, uh, if this goes uh, uh, vocal in public, this will provoke major uh, unrest in Russia. Russia does have enough rockets, uh, artillery uh, to wage this war for years. What they don't have is the will to win and the morale. And that's, that's a major difference. And I think this, this recent counteroffensive uh, next to Kharkiv really showed the difference between the two armies. And uh, one important thing to understand about the Russian armed forces, in many senses, it's, uh, it's the old-style Soviet army, where, which is very centralized, where every kind of initiative uh, from, uh, from bottom up can be punished and uh, that is something which uh, which we could see specifically in this operation, and it, it played very bad service to the Russians. We can win. Appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. All right. That is Andrei Shevchenko, former Ukrainian ambassador to Canada, joining us. I want to dip in, if we can, to the Canadian special. Um, right now in Ottawa, commemorating the Queen. This is music from Christchurch in downtown Ottawa. Beautiful music. We're going to listen to it. Hopefully connect with Evan Solomon after the one o'clock news. I'm Graham Richardson. Stay with us. Listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back. I'm Graham Richardson, in for Evan Solomon. Evan is um, on assignment covering the Ottawa commemoration of the Queen's life, and we just wanted to drop into Christchurch Cathedral. Some beautiful music that has been played in the last few moments as this ceremony gets underway in front of about 500 dignitaries. Let's listen in. Mulroney will speak at the service about the Queen. Um, members of uh, the Liberal Party 
the New Democrats and the Conservatives are all there, including Pierre Polyev. Um, we heard the former Governor General. There's Joe Clark. There's Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney in the front row as it gets underway. And we will continue to watch that. And as I said, Evan is uh, busy covering that for television, uh, which is part of the why reason I'm here. Which is, uh, it's great to be here. Great to fill in. Uh, look, this is uh, one of the one of the things. This is Queen related. <laughs> Um, the Queen's funeral and the band Queen. Um, if you've been on Twitter in the last six hours or so, there is video of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in London singing with Gregory Charles in a T-shirt in a hotel lobby. It sounds like, according to the Prime Minister's office, this happened on Saturday night and somebody grabbed some video of it from the lobby. Uh, if you don't know Gregory Charles, a famed Quebec artist and singer, and who is with the Canadian delegation, along with Sandra Oh and other people, our brightest and our best, representing Canada at the Queen's funeral. Completely appropriate that you um, you represent the country in a variety of ways, which is what the protocol offices have tried to do. So that's why Gregory Charles is there. Here is what someone captured of the Prime Minister singing on Saturday night. Okay, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> and don't ask me if he's a good singer, because the camera's far away. He's wearing a T-shirt. This has just... Okay, so first of all, defenders of Trudeau Online have said it's fake. It didn't happen. This is from an old uh, thing at the Jubilee, which I find is... A, at, at the Queen's Jubilee, which I find is very, very interesting. They immediately say somebody has dummied this up because it's so damaging that he's singing in a hotel lobby. Others who don't like Trudeau are saying, you see, here we go. It's India again. He's embarrassing the country on the world stage. Um, 71010, send us your text on this. We're getting lots. We'll bring more on. Trudeau singing, time and place. This is not the time or the place. This is a level of decorum. This is the Queen's funeral. Trudeau is well below that level here. He just can't resist being the center of attention this is not how I want myself and our country represented at such a time, somber time. This is embarrassing. He has no self-awareness. This is akin to Tofino. Reeks of unseriousness. Dislike JT. This is another text. Dislike Justin Trudeau, but don't care if he was singing. People are making too much of this. All take a breath. At least he isn't spending more money. That's from Russ. Russ. Even as much as I can't stand Justin, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Maybe we encourage him. If we encourage him, he'll leave office and become a singer. <laughs> I read the Queen wanted her funeral to be a celebration, not a somber event. Justin Trudeau has said he loved the Queen, that she was one of his favorite people. He was just honoring her request. I'm not sure about that, but I hear what you're saying. And you know what? I think he was just... It was Saturday night after a formal event. And you know what, folks? Maybe he had a couple of drinks. Somebody said he's drunk. Like, I guess the Daily Mail is saying he's drunk. He's not drunk. I don't know how they know he's drunk. He was belting out a few tunes at the piano. Maybe he had one drink. Maybe he had no drinks. Maybe he had five. I have no idea. Um, he was at a formal dinner, and this is informal after the dinner's over. I don't like Trudeau, but I don't care that he was singing. Maybe they needed to lighten the mood. The Queen probably would have... Got a kick out of it herself. It's a non-issue. 
These people complaining about it are probably the same ones who complained about the Prime Minister of Finland. Then someone else, an absolute disgrace. Justin Trudeau has no respect. And then this is my favorite one, which I think this comes from Todd. The whole controversy is crap. Ever been to an Irish wake? The Prime Minister was on his own time and did nothing to embarrass Canada. Like, if this was... I'll put it to you this way, from from my take on this, because, you know, um, I know that's what you're here for. Uh, If this was Diana's funeral, I think people who say this is a disgrace would have a point. That was a tragedy that was shocking to the world that stopped the world on a dime for many, many days as people openly wept and grieved this shocking loss of this young woman. This is different. And by the way, he's not doing it on the day of the funeral. It's two nights before the funeral. And he's not in any official capacity like he was in the India trip, where he was fully representing Canada on a state visit and uh, did all those things that were well-documented, the costume changes, and it was quite cringeworthy. I don't, I don't think this is the same thing, you know? Um, but the, the most fascinating thing to me is not that people who don't like Trudeau are dumping on him because he's doing this. I'm like, okay, here we go again. Yeah, he's an embarrassment. He should resign, okay? But I, I just can't believe the defenders out there immediately say it's a lie. Like some of the work done on this was Joe Warmington and Brian Lilly at The Sun, who got the prime minister's office to confirm it actually happened because they saw it online. And then immediately people defending Trudeau, who normally defend Trudeau, are suggesting it's all made up and it's fake. And that is just, that that says everything about our time. Um, we have a call. We have Stacy from Georgetown. Stacy, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, are you with me on this, or do you think this is just uh, bad timing and not great? Completely. You have to remember, whenever you step out of your own house, you are always on camera. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. Right. Now, he represents Canadians, Canada. He's in England to celebrate and mourn the life of our monarch. How does having a few drinks and karaokeing in a pub not embarrass Canadians. Well, I don't know that he'd had a few drinks. I'm not sure about that. Somebody... Well, he's in a, he's in a piano lounge, so it's, it's I, in would, the, I would put two and two together. Okay, okay, but it's it's in the lobby of his hotel, I believe, where the Canadian delegation is staying. That's what I know. So I, I don't think he was out at a pub, but... I, I take your point. You you think this is just completely offside, given the it timing. Is. It is. You're there for a solemn event. To have yourself, and for some reason, every event he attends, he has to make it about himself, whether it's selfies or something. So it's just another another situation where, where instead of watching our prime minister conduct himself accordingly at a solemn event. Here he is karaokeing. Okay. I don't understand it. Stacy, appreciate your call. Thank you. That's Stacy from Georgetown. She disagrees with me. Says no. Like he's there for a few days. It's not appropriate that he be that he he should be singing in a hotel lobby because he's the Prime Minister of Canada. This is not me or you. Like the other thing too is 
the pubs aren't closed, right? Last time I checked, England is still imbibing. Um, and, and I'm not suggesting, again, I don't know that he had anything to drink. Let's not make a leap here. Like, uh, for all of his critics who've called him the drama teacher, the guy likes to be on stage and he likes to act out and he likes to sing. Like he likes, so, so the notion that he was drunk or whatever, I, I, I don't have any evidence of that. But anyway, I take her point that it doesn't matter. He's representing the people of Canada. When he steps out of his hotel room, he's in public and he shouldn't have been doing that. Other people seeing it a different way. You can check it out, though. There's lots of reaction online. Surprise, surprise. Particularly Twitter. What a shock. I'm Graham Richardson, in for Evan Solomon. Stay with us. When important decisions are made, we report. Here's Evan Solomon. Welcome back. I'm Graham Richardson, in for Evan Listening to the choir at Christ Church in Ottawa as the commemoration for the Queen continues here in Canada. We're going to hear a speech from Brian Mulroney later on. Uh, this is still live on CTV News Channel and on CTV News Network um, throughout the country. And it is a wonderful service, well attended, and there was quite the crowd outside the church and around the downtown streets in Ottawa for the Queen and for the parade. Um, and it's not a nice day here. So it's uh, maybe for some a surprise that it was uh, there were that many people who wanted to come out and see it. But uh, there were quite a few, several hundred, and the church is absolutely packed. It looks beautiful. Um, switching gears slightly here, uh, I, I played a bit of chess, but not like this. Uh, Quebec's Sean Rodrigue Lemieux is the under-18 world chess champion. From Quebec, he's become a, he's been playing since elementary days, his elementary school. And he scored nine out of 11 points, beating opponents in 54 countries. And Sean joins us on the line now. Hi, Sean. Congratulations. Hi, thank you so much. Tell me about this. This is, uh, we are not, I don't think we're known Canada, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think if we're, we're known as a, as a chess powerhouse, but how did you do this and, and what, what's it meant for you? Um, well, yeah, again, thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, go, going there was a great experience, of course. Um, you know, and as you say, yeah, Canada is not really um, a powerhouse for chess, but we do have some um, some great players who've been, like, really great over, over the past few years. Um, so, yeah, basically, like, to, for, for this tournament, it was just, um, it was really unexpected. Like, my goals were to get maybe either in the top five or in the top three. Um, but it was a great surprise, um, you know, Finishing in first place was uh, for sure a huge honor for me. What went through your mind when you had won, when you found out you'd won it? Well, so basically the thing is, uh, going into the last round, I was leading the tournament by one point. Um, but yeah, basically I needed to make one draw in the final round to to, to win the whole event, and um, that's what I was focusing on. And um, when I was able to, to finally get that draw, it felt um, it felt amazingly. It's it's hard to describe, but it's um, it felt great for sure. What is it about this game that attracted you early on when you were young? Uh, talk to me about how important it is in your life. Well, I would say really the discipline and, uh, you know, just the concentration, being able to, to stay focused for hours. Um, I think that's what really made me love the game. And uh, ever since I was a kid, you know, I was, I had, I've always had a lot of energy. So being able to, like, calm myself like this and switch us, it's, um, it's always something that I enjoy doing. 
you're you're only 17, right? You're about to turn 18? Uh, I, I turned 18 uh, two months ago. Two months ago. So, sorry, you turned 18? So you're 18? Yeah, I'm 18. Exactly. Okay. So what is next now that you've achieved this? Um, well, of course, it kind of changes my plans. Um, so for now, I don't have any huge tournaments uh, coming up for me. Um, like, I'm, I'm still in school, basically. I'm in, um, I'm in Cejep, which is, uh, like, grade 13 in Quebec, basically. Yep, yeah. And, uh, yeah so I'm, I'm still focusing on, on school now. Uh, but for sure, chess will be um, a part of my career at some point. Through the years, um, not, not a lot of people, not many people play chess, young people in Canada. It's hockey or it's other sports. And uh, did you... Did you ever have to? Did you ever doubt whether you'd take it this far? Um, well, I, I, I chess is always something that I like, um, and even though I was interested in other sports uh, such as you know soccer or hockey mm-hmm. or any other sports, it, it's always chess that really motivated me. And even though it wasn't really that that much popular uh, for kids in Canada, it's still something that I you know that my, my friends and I used to play when we were younger, uh, even at school. So. This is actually how I learned the game, so it's um, that's how it um, like I got the passion, and it it always stayed with me. And and I'm reading that you could become one of the, or if not the youngest Quebecer to be a grandmaster. How far away is that from your grasp? Well, basically, the, yeah, the title of grandmaster is the, the highest title in chess, and uh, for, to get the title, we, uh, we need to obtain three norms. And uh, basically, the norms are like performances in certain tournaments that uh, that meet certain criteria, um, which is basically you know like the opponents need to be a certain level, for example, and from uh, many different countries. Um, so yeah, I, basically, I need three norms, uh, but I just got one in Romania, so I only need two more. But they're very difficult to to obtain, mm. unfortunately. So when is the next big tournament? Um, I have a few tournaments coming up in Quebec uh, in October and November. Uh, I'm not too sure about my next international tournament, however. Um, probably during the um, December vacation. That'll be my, my next tournament, hopefully. Well, congratulations. Uh, before you know it, TSN's going to be knocking on your door cause, uh, or someone else to be doing interviews. It's very exciting. Congratulations, and uh, thanks so much for talking to us today. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right, that is Sean Rodrigue-Lemieux. He is under-18 world chess champion uh, from Quebec, and he may be a grandmaster. We're watching special coverage of commemoration for the Queen with some beautiful music in Christchurch Church Cathedral in downtown Ottawa. Let's listen in for a moment or so. That is David Bake, a violinist. Beautiful, beautiful tribute to the Queen. Large picture of her, 500 people in Christchurch Cathedral. Hundreds of people lining the streets. A two-kilometer-long parade, including RCMP and military. A 96-gun salute. Canada's 
contribution to commemorating the life of the Queen. We will hear shortly from former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney about his recollection and his um, impressions of the Queen. And Evan Solomon is covering this for our TV special that's going to go until at least 2.30. They concentrated on, obviously, what was going on, the extraordinary scenes at Windsor and the extraordinary scenes around Buckingham Palace today. And this is the Canadian part of that. Other countries obviously doing this as well, part of the Commonwealth. It's a very formal service in downtown Ottawa, a wonderful one. And I see Adrian Clarkson, former Governor General, is getting up to say a few words. Maybe we can dip in and listen to this quickly. One day in 1952, when I was in grade 9 at Lisgur Collegiate, I went to assembly... And the principal told us that the Governor-General of Canada, Vincent Massey, was going to address us. The Governor-General came out on stage and told us in gentle but solemn tones that the King had died and that we now had a Queen. Shakily and for the first time, we sang, God Save the Queen. He then explained that Canada acknowledged the Queen as sovereign and that the Crown in Canada was the basis of our constitutional democracy. Je n'avais pas d'idée alors. I had no idea at the time. When I had arrived nine years earlier at the age of three as a Chinese refugee coming from a defeated area of the... British Empire called Hong Kong. 48, that 48 years later, I would occupy the function occupied by Mr. Massey. Canada is a place that's remarkable. It's a surprising place. Things happen here, not only for myself, that is Adrian Clarkson, a wonderful story I didn't know. She's uh, at Lisgar Collegiate when she hears... The king has died and we have a new queen, a new Canadian. She was at the time. And then she becomes the queen's representative. And here she is giving an address on the life of the queen. I'm Graham Richardson. We're back in just a moment. Helping you through these unique times. This is the Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back. I'm Graham Richardson in for Evan Solomon, who's on assignment covering the Canadian commemoration of the Queen's life. We're looking at cabinet ministers as Adrian Clarkson, former Governor General, speaks about her experiences with the Queen. Of course, Governor General, the Queen's representative here in Canada. We're waiting to hear from Brian Mulroney as well, former Prime Minister, about his um, experiences with Queen Elizabeth II. Barry McKenzie is a royal historian and spokesman for the Monarchist League of Canada. He joins us on the line. Barry, this has been a obviously a very uh, well-planned precision operation today at every step of the way. Did, did anything surprise you as you were watching it? Um, I don't think so, Graham. No, I mean, we, we know so well what to expect from um, British and Commonwealth ceremonials. So mm-hmm. there are so many things that um, 
are repeated, you know, and, and I think that's part of the wonderful nature of it, that we, we, we know we can count on certain, you know, having a certain presence of Commonwealth military figures, having certain representatives from Commonwealth and British governments and so on. So it, it was also beautifully planned. I mean, I think, uh, like a lot of people, I was probably surprised, if anything, maybe not at the funeral itself, and, and maybe maybe surprise isn't even the right word, but but just so encouraged and heartened by the incredible crowds of people that were lining the streets of central London, mm. you know, and all the way to Windsor. It was it was really quite quite uh, quite something to see. Those Windsor pictures too, and that final uh, final journey to Windsor, uh, as the crowd swells, those overhead shots, you really got a sense of how many people were there. It was extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we haven't seen anything like this for quite some time. And I mean, it certainly harkens back to the death of the Princess of Wales in 97, mm-hmm. uh, which was, of course, a much different experience because of the tragic nature of her death. And in the case of the Queen, we have this in- the incredible length of service and-, and what she represented. So it was really an extraordinary thing. The volume of people, the beautiful way in which the gardeners at Windsor had arranged the flowers on the lawns. It was just, you know, absolutely fabulous and, um, and you know, moving in every way. And it was it was a celebration. It is a celebration. It's not a tragedy. Um, it is sad, but it's also a celebration. It can be two things at once. Yeah, exactly. And I mean that 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 stands out so much, of course, in the in the ritual of the of the, of the Christian funeral, because at its heart, despite all of this incredible pageantry and that long, long, uh, you know, processional that left uh, Westminster Abbey and traveled to the Wellington Arch, at the heart of that was a you know a fifty minute, sixty minute you know, rite of Christian funeral. And so stripped of all the extra stuff at the end of the day, it is this sort of very simplistic, uh, simplistic thing. And at its heart, of course, is and and mentioned by one BBC commentator, you have uh, death, but you also have renewal, which Mm. which comes with all with, which comes with part of that. Uh, And so that's what we see. um, That's what we saw on display today, which is heartening, as you say, it's a life well lived. We're, we're, We're reflecting back on an incredible record of service, uh, sad that we've lost someone that we loved as we did, uh, but certainly celebrating an incredible life. The Can- Canadian service right now playing her various uh, clips of her various trips to Canada uh, throughout her reign. We're in the 60s now in Charlottetown, uh, reminding us of the deep connection this family, in particular the Queen herself, had with this part of the world. Tell me about, you talk about ritual, you talk about how we're reminded and how familiar these things are. You're a monarchist, obviously. And from your perspective, why is that important at times like this? It, it certainly gives you um, it gives you a sense of stability, and we've heard that word so much in the last ten days: uh, continuity, stability, steadfastness. You know, because the world is changing, and we're becoming so cynical in so many ways, and and society often it seems is becoming more selfish in in, in, in many respects. And so, yet it, this is a reminder of continuity, and it, continuity doesn't mean. The, that something never changes. I mean, we've seen the monarchy evolve in the same way that we've seen Canadian nationhood evolve, you know, so this is, it's an ongoing process. And yet we see these links to our past, this living history, uh, which I think is so incredibly important. And it's been a great, you know, source of unity for people in the UK, which is, of course, a, a kingdom that is divided on political lines as much as any other right now. And so I think that's really important for people to have been drawn together, not just in the UK, but of course, you know, Commonwealth and all around the world to sort of have stopped and to recognize uh, that for once, uh, you know, we should be focusing a lot more than we do on unity and on selfless devotion to service, which is what the Queen has spent not just the last 70 years, but her entire life 
uh, trying to live up to and, and having done an incredible job. It's perhaps oversimplification that it will be very difficult for her son Charles to match this. Uh, he can't, time-wise. Um, no, what are your impressions exactly. early on, and what does he need to do as king? I mean, I think he needs to continue doing what he's been doing. Um, the, the nature of hereditary monarchy is that, um, you know, the moment the queen drew her last breath, we had a king. And so I think for, for the for the people that were out there that sort of doubted or thought that this was going to be some watershed moment or there would be this great, great, you know, groundswell of public opinion, perhaps against uh, the former Princess of Wales and, and all, uh, Prince of Wales. And, and of course, now we see um, he's, a, he's the king and he's doing it uh, and he's done it with grace. Uh, you know, he's been inclusive in, in traveling. And, and looking at him today, the man looked exhausted. I mean, I'm sure he's devastated by grief, but also physically exhausted by the, the schedule of the last 10 days in, in meeting with people and traveling around the UK to make sure that everyone has kind of been felt to have been drawn into this very, very personal uh, sense of loss. So if he continues to do it doesn't have to do what his mother did. If he continues to do what he's done for his entire adult life, and again, one that has been spent entirely in service, he hasn't been sitting around uh, waiting for this. He's been working and building charitable institutions, uh, many of which we haven't even heard of, but you know, around the world are doing good works and are you know giving opportunities to people who would never have otherwise been given them. Uh, so if he continues in that line of continuing to serve his people, uh, he may not reach a 70-year milestone, um, but I, I think that he'll um, he'll live very much up to that record that's been set by his mother, by his grandfather before her, uh, and so on back the line. And at the same time, before I let you go, there are parts of the Commonwealth that are questioning, if not pushing back significantly, uh, on the monarchy. And yeah. how does he hold what the monarchy has? How does he hold what the Commonwealth is today? I think that the Commonwealth will continue to evolve, and I suspect that, yeah, absolutely, we will see uh, more nations leave, uh, or not, not leave the Commonwealth, but cease to have the king as head of state. Yes. And we've seen this in the Caribbean in the last couple of years, so that, pro- that process probably will continue. But the Commonwealth is more than just about the realms, of course, as well. And the Queen and the Prince of Wales, the, 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 the now king, have demonstrated that willingness to stand beside, you know, stand with these nations of the Commonwealth as they've made these decisions, and, you know, in a very grown-up sort of way, um, and allow us to do what needs to be done to, whatever, to fulfill whatever goals of nationhood these various states have had. So I suspect he'll continue to do that. To keep the Commonwealth of Nations together, um, you know, is, is probably a little easier than you know, maintaining his status as head of state in some of these places, uh, but demonstrating, again, that there's still good to be had by building this relationship. The world we have today, the more, you know, the more friendly relationships we have with nations with whom we have things in common, the better. Uh, and I think that is going to be the strength of the Commonwealth going forward. Uh, and I know that the, the prince, the, the king, rather, will continue to build on the success of his mother to make sure that that institution is safe for the next generation. He'll leave it uh, in, in as good a shape, if not better, as he found it. Barry McKenzie, appreciate your time. Thank you for this. Yeah, it was my pleasure, Graham. Thank you. Barry McKenzie, British uh, royal historian and spokesman for the Monarchist League of Canada. We want to drop in again to the Canadian Memorial for the Queen at Christchurch Cathedral in downtown Ottawa. Let's listen in. This is Thompson Highway. I'm Graham Richardson. We're back in just a moment.
beautiful sounds. That is Patricia Cano. Tribute to the Queen. We've got classical music, some modern music. And for sure the Queen would have loved that, that music. Just wonderful to hear. Uh, Brian Mulroney will speak shortly. Great stories from Adrian Clarkson, the former Governor General. We'll have more of the Canadian service coming up after the break. And also your text on Justin Trudeau singing in London. Stay with us. I'm Graham Richardson. From coast to coast to coast, the newsmakers talk here. This is The Evan Solomon Show. I'm Graham Richardson, in for Evan Solomon. Former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney speaking about the Queen in Ottawa right now. Let's go live. Modern Quebec to make the Canada the country it is today and her deep commitment to Canadian unity which she saw as equity possibility and equality for all as one who had the privilege of a significant relationship with Her Majesty for many years I can simply say this she was extremely intelligent a woman of impeccable judgment, resolute, selfless, witty, very witty, and kind. Events around the world tell us regularly of violence and political coups and instability. Ordinary people in sorrow and distress as their countries descend into war, devastation, and ruin. Compare that with Canada, now 155 years old, strong, proud, prosperous, united and serene, with setbacks and challenges, of course. This is not a perfect country. We have our challenges. But we are largely unaffected by the major spasms of social and political discontent that have destroyed so many other countries around the world. The success of Canada, so deeply admired everywhere, as a model of civility, fairness, equality, and achievement. This didn't happen by accident. The system of government chosen by our founders had much to do with it. The British parliamentary system led incomparably by the monarchy. Today, our system might appear anachronistic to some. I understand that. But to others who constitute, in my judgment, the overwhelming majority of Canadians, the role of the monarchy, and in particular, the irreplaceable role played by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II for 70 years was absolutely indispensable in our country's hugely impressive achievements and contributions to peace and prosperity and stability at home and around the world. That is Brian Mulroney speaking here in Ottawa just now at the memorial service for the Queen, talking about the connection between the monarchy, our parliamentary system, of course, and the impact Canada had and has around the world. 
Mr. Mulroney, of course, liked to talk about Canada's role on the world stage and be a larger player than the size of the population and the size of the country and size of the economy. Uh, he would argue vigorously, as he is right there, <laughs> even during um, commemoration for the Queen, um, that Canada uh, played an outsized role in its uh, connection to to the Queen. We're going to finish today um, as the service continues on, and you can continue to watch that on CTV News Channel, CP24, and all CTV channels. The special uh, network special goes, I believe, until at least 2.30. But we're going to finish today on this Trudeau thing, okay? So if you're just joining us and you haven't been paying attention, uh, Saturday night, he's with Gregory Charles at a hotel in London in a lobby, and he's singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Somebody catches him on a cell phone. And he, here's a flavor of one of the texts that we've, we got a lot of texts on this. I've been asking you for them, 7, 10, 10, and we'll read some of them. Um, Graham, if our military or RCMP delegations to the Queen's funeral were caught on video singing in a hotel lobby two nights before the funeral, Canadians would be disgusted and heads would roll. The PM should be held to an even higher standard. That's Terry from Orleans here in the Ottawa area. Fair enough. Maybe so. Maybe so. But what I would suggest, Terry, is that I, I, I come down on the other side on this one. Um, what is the story if the RCMP officer is off duty two days before the election, uh, before the, excuse me, before the funeral? Is it regulations that they must not sing or that they must not go to the pub and have a pint in their downtime? I can guarantee you a lot of regular people were doing that all over the place, you know, and this was just for clarity. This was not an official event. He was caught on his, yes, he's in public. He's in a hotel lobby and yes, he's wearing a t-shirt, but it's not like he's with other delegates anywhere. This is just a casual thing where he was snapped doing it, but I get your perspective. Um, and we're going to read some of the other ones that we're getting. Uh, we're, we're getting quite a few go figure. Um, I don't like Trudeau, but I think it's cute. You're supposed to honor those who have passed, sometimes with laughs and sometimes with tears. Other people also mentioning the the wake, right? Like this, again, this is not a tragedy. Um, this is a sad occasion and it's a state funeral, but it's also a celebration of the Queen's life. And so, I don't know, you know, and let, I got to read you this. Um, I'm not a, I'm not in the business of, tearing other people's journalism down. Uh, but wow, the Daily Mail, which is Rupert Murdoch, not exactly a, um, not exactly a friendly uh, to liberals uh, or to Justin Trudeau um, kind of a uh, publication. But they, what they do is they quote somebody's reaction to it. And in one of their stories, this is their headline. Drunk Canadian PM Trudeau is slammed as a tone-deaf embarrassment for singing Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody at London Hotel before the state funeral. This is two nights before the... And the thing is that drunk in the headline is in quotes. And then you read the whole story, and at the very, the very last line, there is no indication that the Prime Minister had been drinking before singing at the piano on Saturday night. Like, come on. You know, like, uh, I I don't know if he's, he's a drinker. I don't know if he was drunk or if he had a couple of drinks. I, I don't know that he is a, a big drinker. 
There's no evidence. Nobody had a drink in his hand. But because somebody says he is, the Daily Mail puts it in their headline. Irwin is in Montreal. Irwin, thanks for calling in. Where are you on this? Are you outraged at Mr. Trudeau belting away a song with Gregory Charles, or do you not care? I'm not even sure why the issue of him drinking was brought up in the first place. No, I, I, I don't see any evidence of it. No, you know? no, I'm not sure why you even brought it up. Well, I brought it up because it's in the headline of an international publication, and people out there are saying, and then as soon as I'm saying it, as soon as I say that, just for clarity, I say there's no evidence that he was drinking, but people are suggesting, like this headline suggests that he was drinking. But when you first brought it up, you did mention the headline for the Daily Mail. No, no, no. But I, but I also said, I, whenever I talked about it today, I said there's no evidence that he's been drinking. No, but why even talk about it? Why, why give this flimsy story Fair any enough. air? Fair enough. Okay. What do you say about this? Uh, I couldn't care less uh, whether he was... I couldn't care less about this. This is just cheap journalism, yellow journalism, and it's pretty awful. Okay, Erwin, thank you. Um, I do bring it up um, because it is getting some attention online, and there is a question about whether it's appropriate or not for the Prime Minister of Canada to be doing it. Erwin says, who cares? A lot of other people say they do care. It's been great to be here. Evan's back tomorrow. I'm Graham Richardson. Thanks so much for joining us.